I suspect that many of you struggle with anxiety as well. And we're not alone. Um, anxiety disorders are the number one mental health issue in the U.S. today. Um, the National Alliance on Mental Illness estimates that one in five adults has an anxiety disorder. One in five. Stress-related ailments cost the U.S. more than $300 billion each year in medical costs and lost productivity. And now is a statistic that's 11 years old. So I can imagine it's even worse today. Um, and it's felt across generations. Uh, so one study uh, um, uh, looking at children said that the average student um, in the, of school age years exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average adult psychological patient in the 1950s. So they're feeling that at such a young age that adults were doing it and prior. And college students, there's a 10-year-old study that came out uh, by UCLA. They surveyed 200,000 incoming freshmen, and they reported all-time lows in overall mental health and emotional stability. And families, you know, those of us who are older, whether that we have kids, we're empty nesters, retired or working, none of us are exempt from anxiety these days. So by any metric, the U.S. is the most anxious country in the world. Um, the question is why? Now, if you go online and Google something like that, you're going to get a whole host of, of answers. Um, just to save you time, I did that. Um, <laughs> so you don't need to do that. But there's three of them I thought, that are, that I thought were helpful. I thought that were kind of informed my thinking about this. Um, three different reasons why I think we struggle with this more than others. One of them has to do with technology-driven change. The U.S. Is, our Western society has changed more in the past 30 years than in the prior 300 years. <clears throat> so you might ask, well, what's changed in that regard? I think one of it is just information overload. I mean, it's just nonstop. Everyone's trying to influence you on what to think, what to do, what to buy, what to wear. It's just pervasive in our culture. News is there. There's always a new app that you need to try out if you're going to keep up with things. There's always updates. Um, there's more TED Talks than you can watch in a lifetime, more YouTube videos, and everyone and their brother these days has a podcast. <clears throat> I mean, so that's just, it's just the, the volume of information that's out there is just, it's just unmanageable. We can't keep up with it. But it's not just the quantity, it's also the quality. Um, there's just the pervasiveness of bad news. It used to be that if something happened, you know, on the other side of the world, you may be heard about it a month later. Now it's instant. And not only that, they're streaming it live and you can actually watch it as it happens. And this is all over the world, all at the same time now. Um, and so we just have this constant stuff and we barely process one tragedy when we learn of another one on the top of that. Whether it's U.S. politics, I mean, when was the last time both parties agreed on anything? And both of them portray it as, wait, if we lose, the world's going to fall apart. Yeah. You know? And not just that we disagree with their idea, they are bad people. Um, and so the way, the, the way things are couched and framed are just so negative, whether it's politics or you, what's happening in Ukraine, famine in South Sudan, it's just never-ending news that comes and comes. Um, and it's alarmist in nature. Um, the, fear is used strategically to motivate us to do something. And if you look at the headlines, here's what could happen. Here's why 
what might happen if this happens. And for me, it's kind of a combination of Chicken Little, you know, the sky's falling, um, and Eeyore, you know. <laughs> you know, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. Um, and so, so we've got just so much information, so much negative stuff that's out there, and just the speed of change is happening as well. For, for millennia, for literally thousands of years, whatever you learned as a child lasted you your entire lifetime. So you didn't need to learn anything else. Whatever you learned when you were a child, that was good. You were good to go for the rest of your life. Now, that started the change in the 19th century with the Industrial Revolution. All of a sudden, wait, we don't have to do it that way. We now have a machine can do it. We can do it this way. And so that began the changes of how we did things. Then with the, uh, with the um, introduction of computers and then the Internet coming, the early 1990s, that changed communication. It changed our businesses. It changed our, even our worldview change because of that. So here's the interesting thing I heard. College students today are preparing for careers in fields that don't yet exist. That's how fast things are changing. It's just constantly that things are changing. Here's the thing that our different psychologists and different physiologists telling us that our brains were not designed to handle the rate of change we do today. Now, if technological change alone would leave us anxious, that'd be understandable. But there's more. On top of that, there's just a sense of loss of community. Loss of community, physical relationships add to anxiety and stress. Now, it's proven that human contacts helps to alleviate anxiety. COVID changed all that drastically and accelerated the trend towards isolating ourselves. Actually, social scientists say that one of what actually began, kind of the isolation within our culture, know what it was? Air conditioning. Because everyone used to sit outside on their porch and talk to their neighbors. Now they go inside, close the door, and you don't do that. So air conditioners were one of the first things that led towards this movement of isolation for us. So we have a sense of uh, being alone. Now, your family might look like this. This does not count as family time, <laughs> okay? So they actually have a name for this now. It's called alone together time. Alone together time. Um, I, you walk into you know, an elevator, everyone's looking at their phones. You walk into a waiting room, everyone's looking at their phones. You're at the airport gate, everyone's looking at a phone. I mean, it's just, it's nice. so we're all together, but we're all apart. So when it comes to anxiety, however, virtual interaction is not a replacement for in-person contact. So here's what the good news about things is. Coming to church helps lessen your anxiety. All right? So maybe we should promote that as a reason for people to come to church. It's lessen your stress um, just because of that. So but then I think even on top of that, and the simple fact is all of us have very real personal issues and challenges, whether it's physical or financial or emotional, relational. Life is a series of challenges, isn't it? All of these things contribute to our high levels of anxiety and make us feel stressed. So, now that I've stressed you out about your level of stress, I do have some good news. <laughs> While the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, the prison of anxiety is optional. 
So today and for the next three weeks, we're going to be look, going to look at this matter a bit closer, and we've entitled this series, The Calm. We said The Calm because we're not talking about some zen-like state of consciousness or some mind-over-matter exercise that allows you to just feel uh, at calm. It's not, it's not drug-induced. It's a calm that only comes from engagement with God. So hear me when I say it's not God's will for you to live your life in anxiety. It's not God's plan for you. It's not his purposes for you that you face every day stressed out. That's not his plan or intention for you. Now, one of the best examples of what it means to live within the calm is the Apostle Paul. Now, his letter to the Christ followers uh, uh, in the, the town of Philippi is an amazing picture of his understanding of the peace that we can have in the midst of chaos. So we're going to read from Philippians chapter 4. Um, you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen or your whatever app you might have uh, in your hands. Um, Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 4 through verse 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. <clears throat> I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, certainly Paul's tone here and what he's talking about rejoicing and celebrating and certainly is a contrast to what we experience in our culture today. So Father, help us to hear um, not just what the words might be, but what you might be saying to us, Father, in the midst of this time. Uh, so Lord, I just ask that you would, uh, your spirit would speak and that we would hear what we would need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one might think Christians or Christ followers would be exempt from anxiety. I mean, the passage we just read, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay. <laughs> What's the problem? All right. But we're not exempt, are we? It just doesn't happen. And because of verses like this, all right, so if we think there's something wrong with us then if we are feeling anxious. Because we know we shouldn't. Paul says we shouldn't, but I am. So not only am I feeling anxious, I'm feeling guilty about feeling anxious. Okay? So it's just multiplied and doubled that's to the, the emotional trauma that's being caused by us. So the good news is that if you feel anxious, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're an insufficient Christ follower. It just means that you're human. Even Jesus felt stressed. Remember and talk on him when he was arrested, or before he was arrested, he was in the, the, the garden and he was praying. He said that he was praying so intently that he sweated drops of blood. That is an incredibly rare thing, but it is physiological possible to do that when under extreme duress. Jesus felt stress in that moment. Now, one of the things I do want to make clear, I'm not saying here there's nothing wrong or I am saying that there's nothing wrong with seeing a counselor 
or someone who can help you work through things. Just help you process things and make sure you're doing it in a healthy way. And I'm not against anyone going to see a doctor who may prescribe medication through this season. That's a whole other conversation, but that's not my point. What I am trying to say for all of us is that all of us, each one of us, can benefit from what Paul is trying to tell us here in these verses. And one more thing I think is important to point out in that is that in verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. That kind of loses a little bit in the translation. Um, do not be is actually written in the present active tense, which refers to an ongoing state. So a literal translation would be, do not be being anxious about anything. So a, a, a better translation might be, in our words, do not live in a state of constant anxiety. That's what he's talking about here. Anxiety comes with life, but it does not have to dominate your life. In the verses, Paul identified four things to keep from being imprisoned by anxiety. He talks about celebrating God's goodness. We see that in verse 4. He also says that we can ask for, for God's help, which we see in verse 6. Leave our concerns with him, which we see also in verse 6. And then meditate on good things, we see in verse 8. So celebrate, ask, leave, and meditate. You take the first letters of those first words and you get calm. In the middle of all of it is verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So with the, the time we have remaining here, I just want to talk about this first action that, we talk, that Paul talks about, celebrate God's goodness. In verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, you got to remember, Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, waiting ex for execution, okay? So he's in prison, awaiting his execution, and he writes these words. This is not normal, all right? What he's saying here, a few things I think we can take out of this. I think one thing he's saying is rejoice in God's sovereignty. Rejoice in God's sovereignty. When Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always, he's not calling us to an emotional feeling. It's not this mind over matter. It's not this, hey, let's just be happy, everything's great. He's calling us to decision and a deeply rooted confidence that God exists. Not only does he exist, but that he's in control and that he is good. We rejoice because we believe in a God who holds the universe in his hand. And at the core of our faith is an unshakable belief in a sovereign God. Is God greater than your problem? Might God have a solution to your problem you don't know about? Has God rescued you before? Don't meditate on the problem. The more you stare at it, the bigger it gets. Instead, lift up your head to God. When you believe God is bigger than what you're facing, you're rejoicing in his sovereignty. I love what it says in Proverbs 21, verse 30. It says, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can seed against the Lord. Nothing is bigger or more consequential than our God. And our anxiety tends to increase when the outcome appears to be out of control. So the less control we have, the higher anxiety we have. So those of us who like to control things tend to have more anxiety than others because control is a facade. Nothing is controllable these days. 
Paul is saying that rather than seeking to control something, release it to God. Peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of a sovereign Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. So when Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord always, he's also telling us to rejoice in the Lord's mercy. Uh, when our kids were young, uh, we were at my dad's house, and uh, um, I forget what we were doing, but there was a knock at the door, and it was the neighbor, my dad's neighbor, holding my son's hand, um, who was probably about six or seven at the time. Um, and he starts his talk with this way. He says, you know, it's not his fault, but... It's like, oh, Lord. But apparently our son was over with their, his son, who was about the same age, and his son, he actually said it was his son who started it, thought it would be a really cool thing because they liked the sound that was made when a rock hit the side of a car. And so they spent a good bit of time pelting the side of his car. Um, obviously, we're horrified. Um, now, the good thing about my dad at the time in that season of life was the general manager of a car dealership. He took it and had it fixed, no problem. Everything was taken care of, and, you know, so, so that was fixed. But here's the thing. As we're dealing with this, our six- or seven-year-old, um, Samuel, he clearly didn't recognize that what he did was wrong. I mean, he, he, he understood now because of the reaction, but at the time, he just thought it was a cool-sounding thing, and his friend's neighbor it was his car, so he thought it was okay. Um, and so, so anyway, in that moment, I had, I, I didn't, I didn't feel right punishing him for something he wasn't aware that he did something wrong. You, know, you understand? I'm not, I'm not saying what I did was right or wrong. I'm just saying at that moment, if, if someone didn't recognize that something was wrong, punishing them for that, just, it just, I didn't do it. Well, a few weeks later, um, Sam, he did something else. And uh, not that. It wasn't that bad. But and I, I conversation said, all right, uh, you need a spanking. You know, if that's what you did is worth of a spanking. And he kind of looked down with a very dejected voice. Again, remember, this is a six- or seven-year-old boy. He goes, I know, I'm a bad boy. But there was something about him saying that that just caught my attention. I said, what do you mean I'm a bad boy? He says, well, I did this, and this is wrong. And I threw rocks at that car back. And I didn't realize, I hadn't realized at that time <clears throat> That, that matter with the car had never been resolved in Samuel's mind. Um, and I, and I, I'd forgotten the fact that <clears throat> little kids don't rationalize. They don't conceptualize like adults can. So for him, he did something wrong. <clears throat> and because there was nothing, and he knew he did something wrong now, even after the fact, it had never been dealt with. <clears throat> and so, uh, so in that moment, I said, what am I going to do about this? Because I didn't want this to define him. All right. He was not a bad kid. He did all kinds of, he got a lot of spankings over the years, but he was not a, he was always active, just busy. Um, but he was not bad. And I didn't want him to perceive himself as being a bad kid. And so in my moment, I thought I had a good idea. I said, all right, Samuel, you got to get a spanking for what you had just done. But you know what? I'm going to throw another swat in there for the car. All right? <clears throat> okay. And so he got a spanking, and I threw an extra one in there for the car. Not very hard, because I, I felt kind of bad. But <clears throat> that car never came up again. Never again did he say, I'm a bad boy or I'm a bad person. Now, <clears throat> again, over many the years, he got a lot of spankings, but never did any of those events define him. Now, here's what I know. 
Guilt causes anxiety. Maybe we feel guilt from an event, something we did, or maybe we feel guilt because of a season of life. I didn't handle that, those parenting years very well. Or I didn't do well with the marriage. Or maybe there's something that we feel like we failed at. You, all of you are much too old for me to give you an extra swat this morning <laughs> to take care of that. <clears throat> but you are old enough to understand the concept, one in particular. Guilt sucks the life out of our souls, but grace restores it. Guilt generates anxiety while God's mercy and grace frees us, bringing us to a place of peace. Paul, in another letter to a different group of people in Ephesians, he said, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You don't have to carry the weight of your failures and the sins of your past. Rejoice in the Lord's mercy. And finally, to celebrate God's goodness, we need to rejoice in the Lord always. Why did he throw in the word always? I'd have been just fine if he would have put a period after rejoice in the Lord. Um, you know, rejoice in the Lord a lot, you know. Or even, even, even rejoice in the Lord most of the time. But rejoice in the Lord always? That's just, uh, that's tough to do when your husband's in the hospital and you're about to lose your business, or when a child has been diagnosed, um, or whatever you want to put in that gap. Rejoice always? That's not easy to do. You know, my favorite verse in the Bible is Proverbs 21.1. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wills. So what that tells me is that whether it's human effort, the heart of the king, our natural circumstances, the rivers of water, nothing, nothing will keep God from fulfilling his purposes in my life. And the same is for you as well. So getting back to Randy, I share with you on Tuesday, you know, they're concerned about seizures. He's going to have multiple weeks in the hospital, months of rehab. On Friday, all the IVs, the tubes, and catheters have been removed. And the neurologist and physical therapist and going over him Friday said, you know what, he was this great candidate for all these different programs we have. Fortunately, he's doing too well. He no longer qualifies for anything. We're sending him home. Um, and so, Alexandra, I talked to her last night. Well, actually, we texted last night. She said if it wasn't for the holiday, he would be coming home today. But because of the holiday, I don't know if they just didn't have personnel to do all the processing, but they'd probably be coming home Tuesday. Um, <clears throat> So here's what I love with Sandra. She texted this to our family, our group. She says, my prayer is that Randy's story would not only be a testimony of God's protection and healing touch, but it would also be a testament to God's mercy and life-changing power. Whatever circumstances you might be finding yourself facing today, always remember, always remember this. God is at work. God is at work. Never doubt that. You may not see it. It may not be obvious, but never doubt the fact that God is at work. And you can also never, never forget this. He's not finished with you yet. The story's not over. The last chapter's not been written. God is at work, and he's still working in your life. Because of that, we can hear what Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you so much for your love and mercy. Thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares about us and desires only the best for us. And even though circumstances around us sometimes, God, just really, some, Lord God, sometimes they just are so painful. They're so hurtful. They're so, Father, overwhelming and consuming. But Lord, help us in those moments to look not at the problems, but to look at you to get our eyes off the circumstances and instead to see your majesty, your power, your love, your mercy, your grace. And Father, as we look at you, may you become bigger in our lives and may our circumstances become smaller so that we, like Paul, can say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. So Father, my prayer for each of us, whether we're in the middle of something right now that's just really hard to deal with, Or Father, maybe even this week something comes up. May these words linger so that we know that we need to come to you, not with complaints, not with all the anxieties and stress, but come to you because you are our source. And so, Lord, anyone here today who is struggling, may they at this moment, in this moment, Father, may they hear and feel your touch. Hear your voice and feel your touch, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. And everyone says... Amen.